Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Dome Spot Podcast. I uh, hope you're all having a great day and great night listening to this. I'm here with a very special guest. Uh, I feel like this is like the sports brief back from HP that uh, I feel like I'm do- we're doing like a one-on-one sports brief. Um, I'm here with a play-by-play host with the Windy City Bulls, the Chicago Dogs, the phone, the founder, owner, operator of Sam Brief Sports Media, 2023 American Association Broadcaster of the Year, for a former freelancer, reporter of the Chicago Tribune Media Group, uh, the host of the American Brief Hoop Show for the first network uh, out of New Zealand, and he's an NBC Sports digital producer for the 2020, 20, the 2024 Summer Olympics in Paris. And uh, wow, you have quite the resume. I could go through the entire show reading off your entire <laughs> career and everything like and everything that you have on LinkedIn and your website. Uh, Sam Brief. Sam, it's an honor. I don't want to bore people with the resume too much. <laughs> thank you, though, uh, for the really kind intro. Uh, it's awesome to be to be back. Uh, it does kind of, I guess it's like an HP sports brief in reverse since you're the one interviewing me and not the other way around. And uh, no, thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited. Thank you. I It's an honor. Um, I feel like just the other day you were just on like every high school, like every weekday you would preview like what the football game is or any of the big sporting events. And uh, I felt like it was our, it was like kind of sports centered high school. You provided good early morning entertainment. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was pretty much my goal, right? I, I knew I wasn't going to be a star athlete. Uh, I got cut from the basketball team in seventh grade in eighth grade and freshman year. So I went down to the media center and that's where they ran the TV station out of. And I essentially pitched them on, Hey, Let's have a Highland Park High School version of Sports Center, and we called it at first the HPHS Sports Minute, which was the I do remember that generic name possible because it was a minute about sports in Highland Park. So I just kind of went for the layup there, and then I went for a little more of a of a three sixty dunk with the sports brief. I embraced it, made it you know my name part of it, and and really made the show better. It was more of a interview show you know, filming live at games, doing live stuff instead of just the basketball team did this, the baseball team did this, the soccer team did this. Um, and I think it did turn into a, a sports center type production. At least that was the goal. So I'm glad to hear that, that you were on board. Oh, I totally was on board. And you want a sports Emmy from high school too. Yeah, we did. We did. I, I want to make sure I make it clear that, you know, when I say we did, it, it was a team, you know, I had right. uh, a team of videographers working with me, helping me uh, film stuff, edit stuff, concept items for the show. So, um, you know, those were all team efforts and and I'm glad it got recognized. So then after that, you went to Northwestern and uh, which is one of the most prominent jur- journalism schools, countries, universities in the country. Uh, what may, uh, this might be a generic question, but what made you want to go to Northwestern? I'm sure you have tons of basic answers for it. Um, but what made you want to go there to help launch your successful, very successful media career? What made you say, that's the, the, that's the springboard to get me to where I need to be. 
Yeah, well, I'll try to avoid being basic. I mean, I just saw what Northwestern could do for me. And I saw the environment there. I actually did a summer program between the junior and senior year of my high school where I was living on campus for eight weeks and we were taking classes in the journalism school. And I could see not only how beautiful and awesome the campus in Evanston was, but I could see what Northwestern had to offer. I could see the journalism school was great and was prolific and had produced people like Mike Greenberg and Mike Wilbon and Brett Musburger and J.A. Adande and all these amazing people. And I could see that I would have an opportunity to cover and broadcast Big Ten sports and do it 30 minutes away from where I grew up, knowing that I could go home for a family dinner every once in a while or, you know, just stay in touch with my life. You know, Chicago's my home. And it ended up working out really well because I covered Big Ten sports. I had an amazing time. Um, some of my best friends and my wife-to-be are from Northwestern. I was able to work for the Bulls, for the Cubs, and stay engrossed in Chicago sports during my time there. So I'm glad I was able to stay in this hub instead of shipping out to somewhere where I didn't already have roots. So uh, it really, really worked out. You also interned at Sports Illustrated, which unfortunately with what happened is laid off so many employees. And I think it's kind of like done at this point. Uh, this is a two-part question. What did you learn from one of the, um, no pun intended, most illustrious newspaper out sports news outlets? And what are your thoughts on like the unfortunate news of them laying off their employees and in this current media landscape? Working there was amazing, Maddie. I mean, it it was the first time for me where I worked in a legit big company. You know, to that point, it was always doing my own thing or the school newspaper, you know, little small shops. Like I learned a ton, but it's much different working in a big shop. Suddenly you're in a, I was working on like the 95th floor of this massive building in Manhattan. And the people there had been at Sports Illustrated for decades and they had a process and I was one tiny little piece in the puzzle. So uh, I had to learn what a, what a real newsroom looked like and the editorial decisions they were making and the little things I could do to make some of my work stand out and make others work stand out. So I learned a ton by being there. It was really thrilling. And it was really one of the last years of Sports Illustrated being the publication that we grew up with it being. I mean, I still have every issue of Sports Illustrated from 06 to 2019, somewhere in my childhood home's basement. And I guess those will be worth something someday because it's kind of sad to see what's happened with SI. And I know a few people there who have been or are going to be laid off. Um, you know, it's just falling victim to changing landscape of sports media. It's a company that's been thrown around to different owners who may or may not really care about the product. And I think when you don't care about the product, people suffer and the product obviously suffers. So it's kind of sad to, to see what it's become, but I'm grateful I was able to work there when it was still the, the institution that we know. Um, which if, if you had to pick pinpoint one mentor you've had that's helped you giving you the best advice to where you're at today, who's that one specific mentor in media currently that you've talked with? Hmm. Oh, man, I, I've had so many, honestly, so, so many. 
this is the type of industry where you need that. You know, there's not like a formal hierarchy where you have built in mentors along the way, other than, you know, maybe professors or bosses, but you've got to find people that are in your corner. So I have a, a ton. Um, but since we were talking about it at the outset, uh, since you're a Highland Park guy, I want to mention probably my first mentor in this was Mr. Vogel saying, who has since retired as an English teacher and the director of the media center at Highland Park. He was the one who first gave me a chance. Like I went down there and said, you know, my nasally little awkward voice, like, Hey, I want to start a sports show. And, and not only was he, was he down for it, but he mentored me. He taught me how to edit. He taught me how to shoot B-roll. He taught me how to shoot an interview. He helped me concept the show. And I leaned on him a lot as I was applying to colleges and, and trying to turn it from a hobby into a career. And I'm still in touch with him a lot. And I'm really grateful because he helped me get those initial first steps. If I had the wrong person directing me, I might have just crashed and burned and done something else that I wasn't really passionate about. But he really fostered that. Uh, you also worked at for the Chicago Dogs. You did broadcasting, public media relations, and you served as the voice of the Dogs um, Chicago program. Uh, what did you learn about sort of the idea of being a big fish in a small pond? Like, what did you learn from your experience of standing out in a very small environment as the Chicago dogs are? Yeah, well, something that was really important when I joined the dogs was we were just trying to get the word out. I mean, the dogs started in 2018. I joined in 2019. So when I started, they had already done the first year, the launch, you know, getting it off the ground, but name recognition was very low at the time. You know, you're coming into this massive Chicago market that already has two MLB teams and all this sports and entertainment already in place. And you're like, hey, we're the dogs. And for me as the voice of the team, who, and apologies, I got a loud ambulance coming back. <laughs> no worries. That's I what happens when you're in Chicago, man. Exactly. Um, so... Pretty much, I was running social media. I was helping with the PR and the media relations and the broadcast. And there were a lot of things that we had to do to get the word out. So for me, I just saw myself not as, oh, I'm coming in a you know, big fish in a small pond. I wasn't a big fish. I mean, I was just out of college. I was like a little tiny guppy, you know, I, I was barely <laughs> a fish. So I just saw myself as, okay, I'm in this position. I'm the person who is tasked with, helping get the word out, helping get butts in the seats and followers on social media and all the things that's going to help the team make money and raise awareness. And I learned you got to scrap and claw. You know, you might have to put on the mascot costume and go to an auto show. You might have to work a late night drafting up social media posts to get the word out. Um, you might be on the road a hundred days a year, which we were during the season. So, um, Learned a lot of lessons and I'm really proud of the five years I had there. How did this whole idea of getting, of connecting with um, Australia and New Zealand for, um, for uh, being a content producer for an Australian, for the Australian baseball league, how did that come about? Like walk me through that whole process and what did you learn about yourself about connecting with new people um, in a totally different country, um, 
what was your walk me through how that came to be? Well, I really wanted to make it happen for myself. So I did. I mean, it, it was something that I learned about in like 2018, 19. I learned about the league and I learned that Americans in the past had gone and broadcasted for teams there. I'd always wanted to go to Australia. So once I learned that that was a thing that you could do, I was like, all right, I got to make it happen. So I got home that night and I emailed every single team and I said, hi, here's who I am. Here's my demo reel. Here's my resume. Hire me, you know, and I got some bites back, but then COVID happened. The country shut down and that was that. So when COVID ended and Australia finally opened the gates again, I reached back out to a lot of the teams and I used some of the contacts I had in baseball over the years to get some introductions. And finally I ended up in a virtual room with the Brisbane bandits and they hired me and I got to be the voice of the bandits and broadcast in that league, just like I do in America, but in Australia. And it was the coolest, most amazing thing ever. I lived down there for four months. I met some of the most amazing people, people who are friends still to this day, I learned a lot about the culture. You know, baseball in America is, it's a given that everyone knows what baseball is and knows that baseball is a big deal and probably is a baseball fan and might've grown up playing it. But in Australia, it's a really niche sport. It's more like a volleyball or a lacrosse might be here where the average person on the street in Sydney or in Melbourne or in Brisbane, where I was, might not be a baseball fan, but if they are, they love it. And they're super passionate about it and they protect it and they criticize those who cover it, which is why it was an important thing for me to learn the culture and learn the team and, um, man, I had an incredible time there. I really, really did. I miss it. Uh, actually, this day last year, I was packing up, getting ready to leave. So it's um, kind of coming to the one-year anniversary of that ending. Um, sure, I'll be back one day, but it was an incredible time. Um, I also saw that you started another podcast. You, you have a lot of podcasts going on, uh, the Mental Game Podcast. And what was your whole motivation behind um, starting a podcast on mental health, which a lot of athletes like struggle, like are coming out with, you've seen like DeMar DeRozan's very, a big mental health advocate and, but, and Kevin loves a big mental health advocate and tons of NFL players are speaking out on mental health. Like how did this whole idea come about? Uh, and you started in 2020, which obviously everybody was going through a tough time due to COVID. Like what was the main motivation behind starting this podcast? Well, you mentioned a lot of people were going through a tough time in 2020. I was one of them. So honestly, that was the catalyst for it. I was having mental health struggles and I was working in sports at the time. You know, I was broadcasting for the dogs and we were playing during the summer of COVID. And I saw not only myself struggling, but I saw a lot of the players who were forced to play during a pandemic, be away from their families struggling with mental health. And I thought, man, there's got to be something here. And, you know, this was before the big wave of, um, you know, it, it's amazing to see what's happened recently with athletes taking a stand and saying, no, we, we can struggle with mental health. Maybe we got to take a little time off if we're struggling, like Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, you mentioned DeMar. Um, so I started the podcast. I just 
I didn't even give it much thought. I was like, oh, okay. I, I kind of want some sort of outlet to talk about mental health and sports because I think it should be a big deal. What's a way I could do that? Oh, maybe a podcast. I listen to some podcasts. I'll try making one. Can't be that hard. So I bought a mic. I made a Spotify for podcasters account. And I came up with a name and I made a logo. And I just started it. And it was one of those things where I wanted to just jump into it because I knew once I started, it would just, it would go, you know, I, I didn't care about making mistakes. I didn't care about things not being perfect. I probably didn't give things as much thought as I should have. I just wanted to do it. So I just started it. And what started as just a little, you know, a couple interviews with athletes about mental health, we jump over a million topics it grew a lot. And, and I partnered with different sports psychologists and doctors who came on and different coaches and more and more athletes. And I've done almost 75 episodes now. And, and that's not me saying, Oh, I'm, I'm amazing. I've done 75 episodes. It's just, it speaks to what the podcast, what a podcast can become when there's a topic people care about. Um, Cause frankly, if no one cared about it, I'd stop doing it, but people care. And, and that's awesome to see, because I think it's important to realize that, the big, bad, awesome athletes that we watch and love, they might struggle just like I might struggle, just like you might, just like any listener might. So um, that's the main reason I made it, and I, I'm proud of it. And you also do the, the To The Points podcast. You you host with Jerry Azuma. What's he like as a co-host? And um, you also interviewed Peanut Tillman and Lance Briggs. Um, what's it like doing uh, the To The Points podcast? Well, the the – First word that comes to mind when I think of Zoom is coachable. And he prides himself on that. And it makes sense because he's a former Pro Bowl caliber NFL player. He's coachable. You know, he started this podcast not having really much experience in sports media. And he wants to grow his own presence in sports media. And our partnership is sort of perfect because he's the expert on all things football. You know, he played six years for the Bears and he knows everything. And I'm the media guy, you know, I know how to produce a podcast. I know how to deliver the content and we go together. So he coaches me up on the X's and O's of football. I coach him up on the X's and O's of media and we're a good team, but he's amazing. I love working with him. He is so nice. He is so fun. He cracks me up. I love hearing his perspective. You know, I, I can spend all day in the echo chamber of my own mind and the echo chamber of my friends and family and talking about football but nothing beats doing it with an NFL player, an NFL alum in his case. So uh, he's been great to work with. And, um, you know, that opens up a network of, of other ex-Bears, right? We talked to Lance Briggs and Peanut Tillman, and those are also great guys. You kind of learn that you know, they're just people too, right? They, they're amazing world caliber athletes, but they're also just nice guys. And um, at the end of the day, Zoom's a big football fan now. You know, he played in the NFL, but he's also just a fan, so... Uh, we watch it as fans. Uh, now talking about the Bears, obviously there's a lot of debate between Caleb Williams uh, going all in for this phenom with the number one pick and keeping Justin Fields. Uh, they're very, I, from what reports have said, one day I feel like they're committed to Fields and the next they're wanting to go in all on, on this phenom and maybe trade the number one pick. 
gut feeling, what would you do if you were the Bears right now? Because you've seen some moments with Justin Fields and how the Bears played pretty well to end the season. And him and DJ Moore had a very nice rapport with each other. This was DJ Moore's best year as a pro under Justin Fields. The defense has gotten better. Like, what would you do if you were the Bears? So the caveat I'll say is if I were just in a total vacuum saying, do I want to have Justin Fields and and build around him, or do I want to start over and go with Caleb Williams? My gut tells me Justin Fields. But if I were, you asked me, if, if I were the Bears, so like if I were Ryan Poles, the GM of the Bears, absolutely would draft Caleb Williams. Because to think about the mentality of an NFL GM, The option is simple. You've been mediocre for three years. So do you keep on the course of mediocrity that maxed out at a one game under 500 record in the last three years? Do you keep going on the course of mediocrity and risk missing out on the potential next great, I don't know, Peyton Manning, John Elway type? Or do you take a swing? And maybe it doesn't work out but maybe it does. And you suddenly are the toast of the town and you're on your path to becoming a hall of fame GM. That's why I would draft Caleb Williams because I mean, it's anything in any line of work. Do you do the thing that got you to mediocre and could get a little better? Or do you take the swing? I take the swing. Um, I don't know enough about Caleb Williams to say he's the answer. I've seen some mock drafts that say the bears take Drake may for crying out loud. So who knows? But that's what I would do if I were the GM of the Bears, and that's what I think he will do. You you really think that polls will pull the trigger and just say, let's draft Caleb Williams and trade Justin Fields to Atlanta? Sure. That, that's what I think he'll do because you know what his worst nightmare would be? You run it back with Justin Fields, you go eight and nine next year, and Caleb Williams is the next Mahomes or C.J. Stroud to probably – give a more realistic uh, rookie comparison. And then suddenly Ryan Poles is fired and he's looking for work. You know, the guy's got to look out for himself. He's in charge. He's making the decision. That's what he'll do. So the bulls on the other hand, they, I could say, I couldn't think of a more botched opportunity they've had with the opportunity of trading Zach Levine at his highest. He's now out for the year due to the injury. This was a total botched plan. Uh, where do the Bulls stand right now? Because they're sort of in like a flux situation with an expiring contract of DeMar DeRozan. He's getting older. Like, where would you say the state of the Bulls is right now? Oh, well, the state of the Bulls is one of the worst positions you can be in as an NBA team, where you've got veterans who make a lot of money, who are not equating to wins, and you're not that bad. But you're certainly not good, right? That's NBA purgatory. Um, Would I rather be the Detroit Pistons who win one game a month? No, because that just sucks. No one wants to win one game a month. But there are few teams that the Bulls are in a better position than. So uh, what they've got to do is they've got to figure out how to best hit the reset button without screwing themselves over financially and in the draft right you you look what the oklahoma city thunder have done they have some best young players in the nba and 
a cornucopia of draft picks. The Bulls need to find a way to get young, talented players and a stash of draft picks. Because right now, they don't really have much. I mean, Caruso is a great veteran player. Kobe White has shown some incredible flashes and was a borderline all-star this year. I like Ayo Dosumu. I like a lot of the young talent. But they gotta, they got to start unloading some of those vet contracts. And, importantly, they have to hit in the draft. Because the history of the NBA tells you that the teams that hit in the draft win championships. The players you draft turn into all-stars, you win championships. If the players you draft are duds or are mediocre, you have no shot. So the, bear, the, the, Bears, the Bears have to hit too, please. But yeah. the Bulls certainly have to hit. Getting back to the NFL, the big game is on Sunday. Um, I think this is – well, the, I think the Niners have significant advantages in a lot of different areas – but it's tough to bet against number 15 because this is the first time he's been an underdog in like all the games, except the wild card round, he's been an underdog in and it's hard to go against him. So gut feeling, I haven't made my official pick yet, but if you had to pick a gut feeling like right now, who would you take? No, my gut is chiefs without a doubt, without a doubt. Oh my God. I, not only do they have 15, you know, Patrick Mahomes, who is already making a case to be one of the best postseason quarterbacks in NFL history, right? He's going to be on that Mount Rushmore. He's already in the top five, for sure. Ridiculous. So you got him, which is, of course, incredible and could win the game on its own. Um, Be the number two defense in the league, man. I mean, that defense shut the MVP, Lamar Jackson, down. In the AFC title, Spagnuolo is the is the best is the one of the the top tier defensive coordinators. Steve Spagnuolo. So I see an amazing machine in the Niners' offense. I mean, they've got McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, arguably the best offensive line in football, and a genius play caller in Kyle Shanahan with a quarterback who does the right things. He might not be a superstar, but he does the right things in Brock Purdy. And, oh, and George Kittle, one of the great tight ends of all time. That's a beast of an offense, but they're going up against a beast of a defense. And the tiebreaker is you have Mahomes and Andy Reid against Purdy and Kyle Shanahan. And I hate to look at it oversimplistically, but sometimes, you know, that's how it is. That's that's why you had the dynasty of the Patriots, because you had Belichick and Brady. You had the dynasty of the Niners in the 80s with Walsh and Montana, Um you know, Landry and Staubach. The list goes on. This is how the NFL works. This is the era of Mahomes and Reed. And with a few exceptions, like when Tampa Bay and Tom Brady beat them in 2020, few exceptions, Mahomes is going to win. So I'll go Chiefs 28, Niners 20. It's a game that's probably tied or something at halftime, and and the Chiefs pull away late because they have the best player on the field. Very interesting. I like it. And the – and uh, yeah, well, I I was the one of the few people that picked them against the Bills, and everybody laughed at me when I picked them against the Ravens. They've they've made me very successful with my picks, um, and on Caesar Sportsbook due to that. I hope so. they make you a rich man. <laughs> we'll see about that. Um, now I want to talk about NBC because um, you're covering the the Summer Olympics in Paris this year. 
how excited are you for that experience and how did this whole opportunity come about? Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, I'm really excited to be on the team now and, and, you know, just be a small piece in this awesome puzzle of pulling off the Olympics. And so pretty much someone I know who has worked at NBC for quite some time sent me this opportunity or just made me aware that they were, they were hiring and um, I put in an application and, and it worked out, you know, did, did a few interviews and, and was honored to be hired. So I just started a couple weeks ago uh, working remotely here from Chicago and I'll be headed up to Stanford, Connecticut, where the NBC Sports headquarters are in July. And uh, I'm just super, super excited. Uh, my main focus is track and field among a few other sports. So, you know, that's, that's primetime Olympics. Those are the moments that I grew up watching and now I get to play just a little role in, in covering it on, on the NBC digital side. So I'm really excited. Are you gonna be seeing the USA summer basketball team there as well? Yeah, well, I mean, my focus is track. Right, so but like, but like, you know, probably will pitch in a little on on things like basketball. Uh, but no, I'm excited to see that team. I really am. I mean, they released the player pool. Both the men's and women's teams are going to be loaded, loaded. Um, you know, I hope we see them full strength with guys like you know LeBron, Curry, Durant. I mean, hopefully Embiid can get healthy in time to play for U.S. So I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be an incredible Olympics. This is going to be, this is going to be amazing. LeBron, KD, maybe they sneak in. Uh, who else? I was going to say SGA, but he's with Canada. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a very stacked pool. It is. It is. So it's kind of gold medal or bust. Yes, it is. I, I love to see Ant-Man for the USA Olympic team. Yeah, well, between them, the guys you mentioned, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brunson, maybe Jalen Brown. I mean, it's it's going to be loaded. It will be loaded. Um, Sam Brief, thank you so much for joining the Off the Dome podcast. I'm glad to see you're doing well and uh, talk to you soon. And uh, in a couple weeks or maybe next week, we'll go training for the marathon together, going for some runs. Yeah, love it. Love talking to a fellow member of the All's Stars Chicago Marathon team. Um, just a plug for your listeners. Both of us are running co- totally coincidentally on the same team, uh, raising money for the Alzheimer's Association. 2024 Chicago Marathon. We're going to make it happen. So I uh, can't wait for that, but, but it was awesome to hop on the pod today. Thanks for having me on, Maddie. Thank you, Sam. Thank you guys for listening to another edition of the Off the Dome podcast. Have a great day and a great night and go get them.